Hi, welcome to the show. How about you introduce yourself? I am Chris McCauley, and I am the owner of Bathleth Entertainment and the developer of Zavix Tower. What's what's Zavix Tower about? So Zavix Tower is a procedurally generated um, old school RPG, a lot of wizards, what wizardry is might and magics, bard tales, lots of things. A more uh, modern kind of game uh, that it would come from would be like a Legends of Grimrock. But rather than having a massive story, it, it, it proceeds in an infinite tower with kind of a smaller story and uh, more of a procedurally generated uh, uh, world. And where can listeners find out more information about the game while they're listening and stuff like that? So currently, uh, we don't have a website yet uh, that's up and working well. Uh, I just started working on it. Um, so going to Steam and just searching Zavix Tower will uh, bring it all up. And then in the um, community area, there's there's a lot of, of, of chatter and talk about what's going on. And Zavix is spelled C-A-V-I-X space tower T-O-W-E-R. Correct. Okay, great. And um, so, I, so this game, what what inspires you to make it? So, I mean, I grew up playing this kind of game. Um, when I was a kid, my dad used to play wizardry all the time, um, and I watched, and then I learned to play it when I got old enough and could actually read what was going on. Um, and then they just kind of disappeared. Um, these types of games just, I mean, at, at least from my knowledge, they, there was nothing from like 2000 when Wizardry 8 came out until, I don't know, Legends of Grimrock came out. I'm sure there was something somewhere, but for the most part, they just disappeared from the game industry. And then, um, I was thinking about doing these while, uh, making a game previously, um, a while back that actually never came out. Um, and then Legends of Grimrock came out and I was like, oh, that's awesome. You know, that, that feels so good, um, to play something like this. I want to make one too. So, um, rather than directly competing exactly with what Legends of Grimrock did, we kind of came up with our own spin that, uh, fills a little bit of a different kind of an itch. And (laughs) is this, is this your first game that you've worked on or? So, no, um, we actually... Uh, made a tower defense game for Windows Phone a long time ago called Delinar TD. Okay. Um, then we had a bunch of things that kind of never went through because we were doing it part-time. Uh, never really uh, finished projects between there. And then uh, Hydraulic Empire came out last year in July, I think. Yeah. Makes sense. It's about right. Um, and uh, it's a tower defense game as well, um, but it's 3D instead of 2D. And that was our kind of first foray into 3D, and then Zavix Tower is also 3D. Um, so, you know, we spend a lot of time building our own engine and everything, putting that together. So, just those games thus far. So, those games, you, you didn't necessarily use Unity to develop them. You've, you've built engines from scratch then for these. Yeah, so our, built, our engine is built on Mono Game, which um, both Mono and Unity are... Um, Mono Game and Unity are built on what's called Mono, which is an open source C sharp project. Um, and it's, uh, essential, Mono Game is essentially, uh, Microsoft's XNA, but kind of continued by an open source community. Okay. And, you know, when you were developing some of these other games beforehand that you said were more part time, what, what inspired you? Were, were they for Steam also, or what was, or was Hydraulic Empire your first one for Steam? That was the first one for Steam. Um, what what inspired the other ones you were to go? Just, yeah, what I was going to say is what inspired you to to try Steam for Hydraulic Empire versus the previous ones. So we decided we actually wanted to try to make a living out of it, um, okay. as opposed to being a, like a minor hobby. Um, we wanted it to be a company eventually. Um, we would like to you know continue to make games and at a decent pace, rather than one every four or five years. We'd rather like to put out one every year or two. Um, so we'd like to speed up the process. We'd like to actually, um, produce the things that when we look back at our, uh, our experience growing up either don't exist anymore or are done so differently now that people don't get the, the experience they used to for better or for worse. I mean, some of the experiences are much better overall, but still it's nice to have that nostalgic feel. You know, I'm not complaining that games are are going completely the wrong direction. I'm just saying, you know, there is a lot that when I played isn't there anymore um, when I was a kid. And I know my kids, I want them to be able to play 
some of these more nostalgic games. That's all. And, and you know, it's funny because I talk to other developers too on the show and, and they talk about this nostalgic feel. And do you feel that's, that's getting overplayed? Do you feel that there's still, still a huge opportunity for indies to, to tap into that nostalgic feeling or itch that people have? Or what are your thoughts on that? I think it's starting to get filled pretty well. Um, up until a couple years ago, it almost didn't exist, at least yeah, to my true. knowledge. I mean, I play a lot of games, but I mean, I won't claim to play them all. Um, but I think for right now, you're going to get a lot of that, at least for the next few years, because um, we went so long without it yeah. in the community, right? And then so now you're getting, probably you're right, it is probably being a little bit overplayed, but it's people wanting to share what they used to feel. Yeah. Um, and another like small point on that is like you have even with AAA games, you, know, you have World of Warcraft, but you have people calling for these retro servers. You know, I don't yeah. play the game anymore, but um, people want what they used to have a lot of times, and yeah. developers are the same way. You know, they want to develop a game that's what they used to have. I think maybe I'm maybe I'm off base, but that's no, what I think. That's and I and I mentioned this to someone else before. It's maybe it's just like how you know the previous generation loved their cars. They wanted that old yeah. car, and this time it's a lot cheaper, you know, and, and they can be <laughs> shared. Yeah. So, um, but you know, what's, what's amazing is how, how do you, you know, when you, and, and it, it sounds like you have a partner who's also helping you with this, with these games. So he does all the art and his okay. name is uh, Kyle Peters. And, and how do you go from doing, you know, saying that, you know what, we've been doing this as a hobby to believing that this is going to work as, as a full-time thing. What, what changes, you know, psychologically or even, you know, in, in your daily life did you have to do that to pull that off? So, you know, this is something I always wanted to do. Um, when I was a kid playing Mario on Super Nintendo, or regular Nintendo, I'm sorry, um, or playing Frogger on Atari, um, I looked at my mom and I said, I want to make video games. She laughed, of course. Yeah. Um, because back then that was kind of like a, a non-starter um, in the uh, the early, well, late 80s, I guess. Um, and then over time, you know, I got my degree in computer science. I did all, took all those steps, did all those things. And, you know, uh, my parents now look back and go, oh, well, that actually was a thing you could have done. Look at there. <laughs> um, so, but, uh, yeah. Um, so for me, it was something, it was always a goal. I was always yeah. working on other doing other things in programming, just trying to earn enough money to, to make video games. Um, okay. So, and then for the artist, uh, he is younger. He's directly out of college, and uh, this was also his goal. So it was, it was always the goal. It was just never feasible. And then, yeah. um, you know, we saved up as much as we could, and we, um, a family friend at least, gave us a little bit, and we're continuing to try to stretch that as far as we can to make as much as we can. And when you decided to kind of focus on this um, as a living, I guess what what other things? I mean, how did you even decide to, to make that first game? Like, what what? How do you determine what game to make as your as that first game? Um, so, for the very first game, being a two D square based tower defense game, um, it was like the easiest thing that we could think of making that actually had some strategy to it. Um, and, and this is the hydraulic like... empire game. No, this okay. is way back. I okay. think 2011 we made Delinar TD. It's only on Windows Phone because that's what XNA did back then. Um, and uh, it was just to see, hey, can we really do this? Is this something like, yeah, we went to school for it. Yeah, we, you know, we've been tinkering with it here and there. But th can we actually make a game from start to finish that actually feels like? A completed game. It's not AAA in any shape or form, but it, it does it feel like it has a start and an end and has fun in the middle. Um, and with that game, we feel like we succeeded in that. We didn't make hardly anything monetarily, um, but we succeeded in so far as people liked the game. It has a four and a half star rating still, um, and we felt like, hey, we can make a game and a game that people will like. Um, yeah. And, that that was kind of the stepping stone, and then like I said, we had a couple canceled things in the middle there. Um, a because we didn't have enough time to develop, and by the time we um, spent a couple years on each one, we were like, eh, 
this isn't turning out the way we wanted it to, um, which is why we decided to focus in and kind of go from, it was either focus in or kind of part ways a bit, you know, um, yeah. just cause and we so, couldn't, so we you've couldn't had the it. same partner then for, for these past few years then. Yes. Yes. Uh, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> but I mean, given, you know, to, to persist through those early attempts. Um, so, yeah. so you did hydraulic empire. What, how long did it take to develop that? Hydraulic Empire was about six months. Okay, that's great. Um, and you know, it shows, to be honest, you know, there's, it's a, it's fun if you get into it. Uh, we enjoy it thoroughly. Um, but it's rough. It's rough around the edges. Um, and that's mainly because it was our first 3D game and our engine wasn't quite, quite ready for what we were doing, to be honest. Um, it's not a bad game. Um, but it's, it's not, it's it's not for everyone. I will say um, we we love it. We love it. Um, and if you're a hardcore tower defense guy out there, you'll probably like it too. But if you're just a random person who's never played a tower defense game, it's definitely not going to be for you. It's just a little bit too too rough. To to develop that game, did you consider using Unity or some of these other engines? Um, considered yes. Uh, but for me, I wanted. To be able to do it, um, it's one thing to make a game, and it's a whole other thing to have made the entire game. Okay. Unity hides a lot of things from you, and I have nothing against Unity. I think it's great, and I'm, yeah. I'm happy that people have a tool out there to use. Um, but for me, I wanted to have the, the full control over everything. I wanted to write the shaders. I wanted to, I wanted to write the the all of the logic that goes into everything. You know, I wanted to do that. Um, and then if I end up going to Unity, which may happen, um, at least I know I can do it. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, there's that balance between, okay, the faster you can release a game, the faster you can get feedback, the faster you can iterate and figure out a way that where your business becomes sustainable versus it is, it is useful to know the fundamentals if you're going to be in the game long term. Um, but right. I, yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I, I guess, um, Maybe, I don't, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, everyone learn, has to learn the fundamentals at, at some point, eventually. So, or maybe they don't, I don't know, honestly. So, um. Well, less and less now, I'll be honest. You know, yeah. Unity does make things very easy without knowing the fundamentals. So as long as you're not trying to make something huge and you stay to kind of that medium range game, um, you can do a whole lot with Unity. Yeah. But I think, I mean, if you want to stay in the games industry for a while, I think it really helps to, understand some of the fundamentals of design, even execute, you know, all these other things. Like there, there are these little things that can give you an advantage in the marketplace. Totally. And, and if you understand them, you're right. 99% of the time you may not even need them. But if you want that, you know, that maybe, maybe in one case it will help you stand out or actually get you ahead of everyone else when, when it, when at that time it's important that you do that, you know, and well, yeah, go ahead. The, the, the more the more the fundamentals you know, the bigger you can make your game. Because the harder you can push your hardware, and the more efficient yeah. your programming becomes, then the more you can put on the screen, the more you can do. Um, yeah. And you know that's why I said with Unity, without knowledge, you know, if you you can probably get up to the medium, you know, but you're not going to make a huge game without yeah. knowing those fundamentals. But um, one yeah. approach, listeners or, or anyone could take is using Unity and while they're using Unity, learn the fundamentals in parallel so that at least they have a product out there, you know, and they're, and they're understanding the marketplace. Absolutely. And yeah. I think that's what a lot of people are doing right now. Um, okay, that's yeah. that's one, one of the reasons I think Unity is so awesome overall. Even though we don't use it, I have a, a huge amount of respect for it as a as an engine as well as, you know, Unreal, and, and which has become a lot more user-friendly. Yeah. over the years um, and stuff. So, yeah, I, I have tremendous respect for what those are, and I think they're good for the industry overall. Um, and and I go, just, yeah. you know, we just chose to go a different route. Well, going going back to the Windows Phone project um, you guys did, did you consider publishing on other phone platforms? Because I know around that time it wasn't clear how huge, it was kind of getting clear, but how huge mobile would be. So um, we would have had to completely rewrite everything. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> At that time, and uh, because we made it, like I said, an X and A, and back then Unity wasn't even a thing for mobile. Um, it, it was no, a it thing. Was. It, it was see. kind of yeah. Um. Well, maybe maybe it wasn't as it and, wasn't. You know, and back then though, there was, there was something called Corona, 
which I don't know if you've heard of Corona SDK, but I, that was something yeah. you can you could have published on iOS and and Android, not not Windows Phone though. So I guess it would have been a trade off. But I think I think that goes to um, at least for the listeners, um, just also understanding all the different tools out there. Because yeah, you no, know, it's important. Yeah, because maybe if your game and you know not only had you published it on Windows, but you published it on Android at the time. Because at the time, it wasn't clear that Android was going to be the huge winner. I think Android had just come out. And yeah, who knows? That, that could have give, given you the... If you would have released on Android at that time, it may have given you the exposure that would have promoted it across the other platforms. That is and quite then, possible. You know, and, and so those are, those are subtle things. And I think that's where... Um, that goes to the whole fundamentals thing, which is that... Even even if you know for the listeners out there, even if you can develop a game really quickly now, there's still other things that you know it's worth investing time just to understand the process and stuff like that. Absolutely, yeah. But we would we would have loved to move it over. It just at the time, yeah. programming in C sharp. I don't know that there was an option. Now there's tons of options. They're yeah. everywhere. But you know um, that's the other thing. Is like some of these. What I I was just thinking about this a couple of days ago there will eventually be tons of options for something that becomes successful. But for you as an indie developer, sometimes if you get in super early into kind of an emerging platform or field or genre, you can, you can get a lot of gains. And then eventually Absolutely. two or three years later, people will release libraries to make it super simple. But if you ventured into there, into the unknown early on and actually, and you found, you know, gold, you will be able to retire. And, you know, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I guess, and I guess, you know, your approach with developing your own engine can lend itself to that potentially, because you're not you know, pulled into the limitations of what's what's out there. It could be, or it yeah. could be that thing that holds us back. And if we decide that yeah. that's the case, then we'll get rid of it. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, um, at the very least, we've learned a lot about how things work. Yeah. And and we feel like if we moved to an engine, we would understand what the engine is doing. Um, better than we otherwise would have. Um, uh, just going from 2D to 3D was just an eye-opening, massive yeah, experience. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, yeah, and <laughs> you know the, that experience alone, to me, is worth its weight in gold. Um, and it is, look, it is. It's like, yeah, no, you're right. It is. Look, ultimately, I feel like to to make this into something you're going to do long term, you have to know everything. That, that's all I can say. Like from, from my experience of what I've seen in the games industry, you have to know everything, even if you never use it. Right. Because you just don't know. Like, you, look, what's happened is, is like before 2D would work. And then, and now it's like, it, I almost feel like you almost have to go 3D now. Like, and yeah, if you're going to do something big. Yeah. And, and, oh. and I was just thinking, I was like, am I just hallucinating? And then I was like, wow, even movies now, they're, they're doing this stuff in 3D. Like, like yep. if you look at a lot of the, like, kind of, re like, Zootopia, I was like, if they would have done that in 2D, like, literally, you know, use, like, cartoon, you know, like, some kind of, like, mm -hmm. pre would that have worked? And it may not have worked as well. It's just, like, people are responding to 3D now. Maybe it's because it's, it's, it's more novel than it was well, before. You, you, know? you got two things going on with that in the movie industry that I see now. I, I am by no means an expert. Yeah. But the, my take on it is, um, first of all, it's cheaper to make the 3D movies. Yeah. Now. Yeah, it's true. Um, sec and, and so that's a, that's a big piece of it. And second of all, when you take a same budget 2D and a, and 3D project currently, um, the 3D just looks so much better. Yeah. Um, now I am all for a super stylized 2D animation. I think that those games slash, uh, movies look amazing. But the, the budget on them is out of this world, um, on yeah. the art. And, and for indies, for instance, that, that's hard to do. And I know that it's actually the indies that are doing the 2D stylized stuff, but <laughs> I'm not sure how because the budgets have just yeah. got to get insanely and, large. And for something like Zootopia or some of these things for kids, they don't care. They look at 3D and they're like, wow, this is like Minecraft. So they can relate <laughs> to it more, honestly. And, oh, you're speaking like my son right now. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, you know, and, and I think it goes to, 
<laughs> that's why I said you have to know everything. But the other day. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, you have to know everything, but you have to be willing to not use it. You have to you have to have the self discipline to be like, no. Like you can't use it. But you have to know it, but you can't use it. Like because because what's funny is that you can say, well, okay, I'm going to use this stylized 2D thing because it's unique and whatever, but the audience may not even care. They, they can't they even relate not. to it versus 3D where they're like, oh, 3D. And you look at the 3D Minecraft and you look at the artwork or the art inspiration for that and you're like, come on. You would not have believed <laughs> that that would have been that huge. And, yeah, I would I have know. never never guessed. You know? um, but it's gameplay won everybody yeah, over, I think. You're right, you're right. And and now people claim to like the art, which is fine. Maybe somebody does. Um, but you know, it goes to the retro thing you're talking about. Because it, yeah, it does. Because the pixel art reminded people, you know, like so there was a little bit of nostalgia there, even though the gameplay was unique. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there there are all these different components to making a game successful. Um, but getting back to uh, release of Hydraulic Empire, um, after that, what were you thinking? We were a little sad. I'll be honest. Um, it went not so great. Um, and it was kind of a, what do we do now? Kind of a thought. Um, and, and were you doing marketing for that product? Like, or was it just you release it on Steam and just see what happens? Say, say that again. I'm sorry. Were were you doing marketing for, for the game too? Like, did you reach out to YouTubers and all these other people that kind of get exposure for your game or coverage? Or was it, I did. Okay. I spend a lot of time doing that, but being a nobody, I got no response. Um, okay. Uh, a whole lot of no response. We got a few like really small people to to do stuff for it, um, and I was very thankful for that. But we never got really any response from anybody, you know, of even like a upper, lower, or even medium level on YouTube. So nothing that got more than let's say I think like 230 views. Okay. Which is tiny, right? So um it just we couldn't get any traction. I tried to do it on my own. I thought I could do it on my own, you know. Overall in my career, I've been pretty successful doing all kinds of things. Um that wasn't one of them. So okay. uh if anybody's listening out there in that position, go find yourself somebody to do that because as good as you may think you are at a lot of things, Marketing is a whole different beast. Yeah. And, and at least for me, I was inept at it. Yeah. So. And so your, and, and what, so then what were you and your partner thinking? Was it going to be like, you know what, maybe we should just put this on hold and, and do it part, you know, like, like you were doing it before, where it's part time or what, what were your thoughts at that point? Yeah. I mean, we were definitely considering it. It was a big letdown. You know, we were super excited to get through green light. We were super excited to, to produce the project. Um, and then just like all of the hot air got let out of that balloon. Um, and yeah, we were definitely looking at it as, can we even afford to do this again? You know, can we, what, what can we do? Um, and, um, we kind of talked about it a while, and then we came up with a diff- bunch of different ideas of what we thought we could complete, given a budget that we thought we had. Um, and um, we definitely knew we wanted to go away from tower defense games. A, because we'd done two of them. Um, well, the only two games we had out were, were tower defense games. Um, and uh, we wanted to kind of do something new. And yet we wanted to do something that, you know, harken back to something that we could be, you know, proud of from, from, from our own, our own, um, experiences growing up. So, uh, we ended up settling on Zavix Tower and, uh, we thought originally it'd be a six month project. Yeah. And it's been a year. So, uh, it's, that's, that's been a struggle in of itself, but it's, it's been, it's been a good one. Um, and we have a much more polished game. We have a long way to go still on it, but. And that's where if you would have used something like Unity, it, it may have, you may have been able to hit that milestone or what are your thoughts? Um, I don't know that we could have hit six months. Okay. Um, is it possible it could have gone faster? Yes. Possibly. Um, I would say that on the programming side, it's actually faster for me to use what I'm using. Okay. Um, 
on the art side, it is probably faster to be using Union. So, um, it's kind of a give and take in that way. Um, and, you know, every time we added a new feature for this game, uh, we ended up with three more to add. Um, and it just, the game, when we reached that six month point and had almost everything we were hoping to have in that six months, just wasn't fun enough. Um, we had overestimated the fun level of what was there uh, originally. And so this is before the alpha, uh, this is before it was out on Steam, before any of that. Um, and it just, it just wasn't enough. Um, it was too simplistic. It would have probably done okay on a phone. But phone screens are too small for all the data that's on there, so that wouldn't have worked. So maybe tablets, potentially. Yeah. It could have been fun enough for that, but it was not fun enough for Steam um, at the time. So what, what was the approach you decided to take then at that point to make it more fun or potentially get feedback to, to figure out what to do next? So we had friends and family playing it, um, and you know they were a big, a big part of helping us figure out exactly what we should focus on. Um, but we had a big list of things we'd like to, to put in. We, they just weren't part of our, like, our bare minimum, um, project. And so we went through that list and kind of created a third list, which was like, like, okay, we need to have these things now. These need to become part of our core experience. Um, and then we went to work on those, which those typically were larger systems. They were more complex systems. Um, and so they take longer, which is why they weren't in our minimum, um, requirement. Yeah. And, um, but like I said, the minimum requirement to us wasn't fun enough. And if it wasn't fun enough to the people who made it, then how can it possibly be fun enough to the people who you want to buy and play your game? You know? Yeah. Um, so we just kind of pulled our head back down and went back to work and shoved our head in our screens and what, typed away. Well, what, what systems did you feel you needed? Um, did you feel that you needed to add to to make it fun? So we didn't have enough loot to begin with. Right now we okay. have... Boy, I'm trying to remember. I think we have 12 slots or 13 slots. And we only had six. And so part of the old school feel is having a lot of a different loot. Um, and originally we were thinking, because the market is moving towards a, a more limited... Um, a more limited... Uh, gear set, we thought that we would go, go that route, and it just wasn't as fun to us. Um, the dungeons that we're generating uh, didn't even have hallways, for instance. There was just room after room after room. Um, the events were limited to um, just battles and traps, is all that was there. Um, so, and since we've added two different kinds of treasure chests, we have locked doors, we have doors that require levers we're about to put in traps you can avoid rather than traps that are event based like in the rooms so we'll have both of those um you know we we only had two bosses um now we have well we're working on our very last one our 10th one um right now um it just it was a much smaller game and had a lot less to do in the dungeon um and right now that's our biggest focus we also only had four classes. Now we have six. Each class had about six or seven abilities. Right now they have about 12 abilities each. It's, so a lot of it is more. And then a, other parts of it are just simply uh, more things to do in the game. And with those additions, do you feel that the game did become fun? Or do you feel that it still needs some more things added? So I feel it's fun. Yes. Um... I feel, and other people do as well, which is great. You know, our feedback so far has been largely positive on Steam, which is wonderful. Um, we have an ever-growing list of things to add. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's also, I, I try to look at that as a positive thing. Um, and um, can there be more? Yes. The game is not perfect, um, and it is a work in progress, uh, even though we are... Almost done with that second list of features, plus some other ones that ended up coming in from user feedback. Did um, you? Oh yeah, go ahead, finish your Yeah, so so even after we do end up releasing the game, um, we have things that we want to continue to add for a long time to come. And 
did you when when did you put it on early access um, in the life cycle of the project and did you consider maybe doing it more towards the beginning or what are your thoughts so too early is the okay. answer to that oh, really? okay. um, <laughs> <laughs> we we wanted to go to GDC and yeah. we wanted to have something that people could download and play and um, we made a mistake there in rushing that out and uh, I would say it was about halfway through our second list, and the game just wasn't ready. Uh, it hadn't had enough alpha testing, still too many bugs, too many inefficiencies. Um, it was fun-ish, but it wasn't yet fun. Um, and, and the community let us know. Uh, we got knocked down pretty hard on that one, um, and we deserved it. So, I mean, is that know. bad? Because at least early access can give you feedback, right, in, in a faster way. But I understand it can turn people off. <laughs> yeah, so, so. We, we got that feedback, which we needed. And that was the, one of the biggest goals. Other than getting out for GDC, we probably would have put it out three or four weeks later anyway. Okay. Um, because we needed more feedback. Uh, friends and family can only get you so yeah. far. You know, I don't know. I got a pretty big family and, you know... A decent chunk of friends, but you know, you, you need thousands of people dumping feedback on you. Yeah. Um, because everybody's going to play the game differently. Everybody's going to have different likes and dislikes. And so you really need a lot of, um, of feedback. And we got that from early access. So in that way, it was a really huge, awesome thing. Um, but it always does hurt to like get knocked down. I think we went all the way down to 62% on the, on the uh, ratings, student okay. ratings, which is you know that's that's a hard pill to swallow. You know, you yeah, put a, it is. But put seven or eight months into something, <laughs> and wow, you know. But but you did feel that you were going to come through the other side, right? Like it wasn't like okay, well, this game isn't going to work. I mean, or were you considering that, or what? What are your thoughts? It, after the first two weeks, yes, I did feel that way. You okay. know, when you first get hit with that amount of negativity, yeah. Um, at least for me, you know, it, it gets hard to get through. Now, we did go through it with Hydraulic Empire, so we were a little bit uh, calloused towards it, which is great. You know, we, we didn't get the full force of the of the beating, which, again, we deserved. So it's not like it's not like uh, the community was being unfair. Um, I just thought that maybe people would be a little nicer in early access. Yeah. And, and you know what? Again, it was overall a good thing, and so now our rating is at seventy nine percent. So that's good. We're very happy with that climb, um, and we're very happy with the feedback overall that we're getting from the community. So okay, and and so then now you have a better feel that you can come through with this game and and it'll work. Or, or what are your thoughts at this point? So so we really hope so. Um, okay. And as you know, we we partner with Rob at uh, Indie Voyage. Yeah, and uh, and he's which is a publisher, right? Like. So Indie Voyage is a publisher. Um, yes and no at the same time. Yes, they're a publisher, but they're call, they call themselves an indie publisher. Okay. And so the difference here is that like if you went with a standard publisher, essentially they're buying the rights to your game for an upfront amount of money okay. um, in general. Whereas with Rob, he takes a portion of sales. Um, okay. And so you still retain kind of all the sales rights, everything. You're... Rob helps with anything you ask him to, other than making your game for you. Um, but specifically marketing and um, helping you uh, shore up your business practices are the two things that they have, have at least helped us with. So, um, yeah. And what inspired you to go with a publisher? Because, you know, you have Steam already that kind of distributes the game. Um, uh, my woeful inability to do it before. Um okay. And, you know, we met Rob at GDC, which we were very happy that we went there because of that. Um, we actually met a couple of people, but um, Rob was... I mean, when he approached us, he goes, well, if you ever need a publisher, I go, ah, yeah. I can't see that happening. You know, like, that was essentially paraphrasing what came out my mouth. Yeah. And he was very understanding um, and, you know, tried to explain what they do and how they work and how they were different from a traditional publisher. And, you know, it started to win me over. Yeah. Well, first of all, they don't take as much of a percentage, I think. I mean, that's, that's just yeah. my mind. So. Yeah, so. that's a big piece of it. But it's, it's all, you know, you just have full 
um, control over your own work, you know? Yeah. The, Rob doesn't come to you and say, hey, you need to put this feature in, period, you know, and we're not putting the game out until you put it in, you know? He may suggest something, he'd be like, hey, you know, I was playing the game, and maybe, you know, this icon, not so great, maybe we do another one, you know? And, but he, there's no control there. He's not, he can't stop the project from coming out. He's yeah. just trying to help because he actually wants to help, which is awesome. And and you met Rob after you released the game on Steam Early Access, right? Or yeah, so we met okay. him at GDC. Okay. The like four days after we had put it into Early Access. Do you feel that that Early Access kind of helped you in your experience at GDC? I mean, uh, or or did it not matter since you already had a game before that out? Like, um, like I would say it was tremendous. Okay. Uh, but it was also, like I said, it was hard because we were getting beat on pretty hard. Um, yeah. And the people at GDC were similar in that aspect. You know, they were like, well, where's this feature? And you're like, oh, um, on our to-do list. And that's not a good enough answer, right? So when you're talking face-to-face and somebody has a gripe, yeah. it's much easier to see why they have that gripe or understand why they have that gripe. Like on a forum or whatever, people type away. It's hard to, there's no inflection in their voice. There's no... Um, it's hard to see exactly where that gripe is coming from, but at GDC, you see all that. You get the feeling, and and you kind of understand in a more human way uh, why the person wants what they want, um, and it helps. So at GDC, were you mainly meeting publishers there, or what? What was the main goal or inspiration to go to GDC? Um, so originally, we we weren't looking for a publisher um, at all. Uh, I was still going to try to do it again on my own, um, but, uh, you know, we were there to get feedback. We were there to show the game and get some experience doing that, because we'd never done that before. We didn't do it with our first game. Um, we were just trying to see, hey, what is what is this this all about anyway? Like, why, yeah. why do people come here? Um, <laughs> you know, we didn't actually go with a giant set of of we, this is what we want to get out of this. We wanted to get a little bit of everything out of it. You know, we got cards for music people. We got cards for artists if we needed backup art done, which we haven't used most of that, but we have it. And so that's that's a big deal. Um and uh yeah, it it's we got more out of GDC than we thought we would. Let's okay. put it that way. Um so after GDC, what um, what were you thinking? Like, I mean, yeah, I guess what what were the priorities and and what things differently were you going to do given your experience at GDC? So we really kind of focused in on very specific things that needed fixed in our game. And like I said, for me, I was sitting there contemplating, well, maybe maybe a publisher is the right route. Um, I didn't even know a publisher existed like Rob, so. Um, it was kind of eye-opening in that way. Also, we were looking at what other people were doing, right? So we got to walk around. We got to see. We weren't just exhibiting, you know, um, what else is out there and um, how they're approaching things. And that was good for our the business side for us, uh, just to kind of see what are other indies doing and are, are we doing things that are in line with them. And in a lot of ways we were and in some ways we weren't. And we needed to adjust our business practices to more be in line with with what others are doing successfully than what we thought maybe was best. And and what is a specific example of that? So uh, a lot of these successful indies out there have some sort of a publisher, and that there's a lot of um of. No, that's true. I mean, middle I, ground. Yeah. No, it's true because I was just thinking of even Goat Simulator or Surgeon Simulator. They did. Or no, not Goat Simulator, but Surgeon Simulator had a publisher. And, right. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of them, and yeah. and I didn't realize that. Um, there's some that there's plenty that aren't, and that they did yeah. it all themselves. But even those guys typically have a marketing guy in house that's working with them. Um, so the friend of theirs from college or something that's doing that marketing. Um, and you know, along with our experience with Hydraulic Empire, um, it was it went a long way to convince me that. It, we needed to change how we were doing things in order to become successful. Because 
even if we made a great game, I don't, I don't know that I could have got it out there. Yeah. Um, and that's a scary thought to do that much work, um, and not know if you're going to make it. And, and one thing I noticed, um, okay, so, so you kind of legitimately then considered a publisher. Um, did you then move forward with, with getting or locking in that publisher right away after GDC or were you still going to wait a little and then see what happens? So, so we knew we had it, we had four ish months in early access. So I wasn't in any big hurry. Um, I wanted to get, I wanted to focus more on getting the gripes that people had with the game taken care of. I wanted to get the features in that people thought just had to be there. Um, and I wanted to focus on making sure that we could get our ratings up, um, by producing a better game. Um, and once that had happened, once we were climbing back up in the ratings and people were becoming happy and happy with our product, and I knew that we were going to get to a game that we would consider good, um, and that at least the small community that was currently playing the game at the time considered good, then it was time to focus on, okay, which publisher, how, how do we, how do we go through this and figure this out? Because I didn't want to waste a lot of time finding a publisher and figuring out how that works only to, to not get the game where it wanted to be, where we needed okay. it to be and waste all of that time. So, and, and, and what are your thoughts in terms of where the game can go? Like, I mean, you know, you mentioned, I think you're at a 79% rating now. Yeah. Um, we think we, we would be very happy with an 85. Now we're trying to actually undershoot this because, uh, we, we've, we've overshot expectations at a couple of times. We don't want to do that again. Um, okay. we, we feel like hitting 85% would make a, uh, us very happy and very proud of where we're at. Yeah. Um, it would put us probably in the 60 to 70 percentile on Steam. Um, and that, that would, that would do well. And it'll go a long way for making us feel good about what we've made. Um, on a more stretch goal area, if we can continue to develop on the game the way we want to, um, we really feel the sky's the limits. Uh, most negatives that we're getting currently are simply because we switched from free, which originally was, oh, yeah. to a paid game. And um, I don't think we've had a negative review other than switched from uh, free to paid for about a month. Okay. And, you know, for the listeners out there, can you talk about, they may not even understand that they can turn around a bad game. You know, something that has a bad perception or bad review, whereas you've done that now. And, and you've seen now how certain changes can, can turn things around. Um, yeah, so... I I mean, I would say, listen to your community, you know, okay. um, even if the things that they're asking for aren't necessarily what you were thinking you wanted in game, yeah. as long as they fit the general, uh, flow of your game, then it's something that you should at least consider when they're, when they're saying something. Now, if they're coming up with something completely outlandish, that's like, Hey, <laughs> rewrite your whole game, um, which we have a review like that. Um, and I was kind of like, yeah, I, no, you know, um, uh, we want to listen. We want to be there. We want to be giving the community things that they want. Um, but at the same point in time, you can't give everything that somebody wants. So listen, but keep the core gameplay mechanics the way you wanted them, provided they're not terrible, right? I mean, if, yeah. if you have a core gameplay mechanic that's horrible, you may have to let that go. Um, but yeah, What's listen. That's a big deal. Yeah. What's, what's interesting to me is how your first kind of six-month project was not fun for you. And yet you felt that if you added more systems, it would turn into fun. And, you know, and the community has validated that that approach worked versus where I've heard other people say that if the core, even if, if, if those underlying mechanics aren't fun, then adding more stuff isn't going to work. So, so what is actually the right formula? So, I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, but what I, what I can say is, is that, uh, our game wasn't fun because part of the fun of these kinds of games is the strategy. And okay. there wasn't enough strategy. Um, and that may be different than most other kinds of games. Like an action RPG is not necessarily heavily strategy based. There may be some, but there's not a lot. 
Um, whereas a turn-based fighting game, there's two huge things that make those games successful in my mind. One is uh, the complexity and strategy of it. And the second is a really amazing storyline, right? Yeah. And since we had already decided we were not going to go for the super heavy storyline, um, because there was already becoming more and more indie games in that space with Grimrock and stuff like that, um, we went more with the, all right, let's add a lot of strategy and a lot of kind of, it, a lot of thought in what you're doing when you're playing. Um, yes, you can continue to just use a basic attack all the way through, and if you overlevel yourself, you'll get through the game. Um, but if you want to kind of be pushing forward at a faster pace, you got to be thinking about like the resistances on the mobs. You got to be thinking about the runes that are on the room. So we have these this rune system that affects you know um, the battle, and each room can be comp- very different from the room previously um, that you fought in. So one might be magics down, another one might be physical damages up, and those those two differences in, in two different rooms could cause a completely different uh, strategy for which mobs you kill first and and, and which abilities you use. Um, so stuff like that. So we wanted, we had to get enough strategy in the game to make it fun and make you slow down and think about what you're doing. Yeah. I think, I think that is interesting to consider is that sometimes these deeper systems can turn things around or make it more engaging. I mean, is, is that? Yeah. Okay. I, I think so. I think that's that's completely but, true. But how um, do you Okay, well continue I know you, you wanted to say something and I cut you off, so maybe I actually don't remember now, so it's okay. uh, bummer. <laughs> well, it, is, it is what it is. It probably wasn't that important then, right? Uh no, it's probably genius and <laughs> it's all right. Um but you know what's I guess, you know, for for game develop game designers, game developers listening to this, I mean how do they know that I mean, did you keep all the mechanics um, and systems that you did have in those first six months, or did you have to prune some out too? We didn't have to take any out. We did have to edit a couple of them um, to make them less uh, straightforward. I know that sounds really weird because in so many different, you know, genres, they, it's, uh, the game needs to be perfectly straightforward. You need to be able to understand it the first time you touch it. That's true for most most genres, and it might even be still true for this one. Um, but like, uh, rather than when we first started, like the turns where you went and then and all in a row, and then the monsters kind of went all in a row, and instead we added a speed system, which kind of intermingled those together um, in such a way that you don't know who's going to go first, second, third, fourth, fifth, until. You see the monsters, and and it all gets kind of, you know, laid out for you. I'm like, oh, okay, so this is now going to be different. Even if I fought the exact same monsters last time, but these ones are just a little bit different level. Now their speeds different, and everything's in a different order. So, okay. for, so that system is less straightforward, but I think that's a good thing, right? Because you actually have to look at your speed and think about it, as opposed to you go then I go. Okay. Um. So, okay. So, so I think, I think what, what I've gotten from this is that sometimes just adding other systems can turn things around or, and, and it isn't either or, that sometimes just adding something overlaying on top of this can, can turn things around for, you know, people's perspective of the game. I mean, do you feel that that's what turned, turned around? I mean, aside from listening to your community, were there any fundamental things that you noticed that really turned, turned around the reviews? Uh, variety. Okay. So, um, you know, people don't want to do the same thing every time they yeah. enter a room or every time they play a game, they don't want it to go exactly the same. And we were touting a procedurally generated game originally that ended up similar each time you played it. Um, okay. There just wasn't a great enough variety. And so if you, as many people know that know math, when you add one new thing into a system of say like four things now you have five things but it's not 20 percent greater um variety you're talking about you know five six seven eight ten times the variety for adding one more thing um and we've added three or four more things and so the amount of variety just in the way the rooms look so that's another thing just 
adding more art is a big deal too because okay. the rooms don't look as plain. Um, yeah. Right now, we calculated, and I don't know if I calculated it perfectly, but it's like a room can look any of almost a hundred thousand different ways. Okay. Um, and so if we add a couple more pieces, now all of a sudden it'll be like a hundred and twenty different thousand different ways just from adding a couple more pieces and having enough places for them to go. All of a sudden, you have a massive amount of variety, and people stop seeing your dungeon as the same thing every time. Yeah. And that helps a lot, obviously. I mean, that's kind of almost a dust statement, right? But that's what we had was a game that was bare minimum and just did not have the level of variety that we needed. And we're trying to rectify that. And I think we've at least made big inroads in that. We would like to do more. Um, what are your thoughts on your, your understanding of procedural content and how it can actually work for players like what what do you what did you have to do besides adding more dimensions to actually make that procedural content something that worked worked for your game so our procedural generation obviously is not completely random um there are rules to it uh and i think if you make a game that it's completely random then you're asking for a lot of (laughs) a lot of pain um but could you do it sure i guess you could um yeah, we, we added more rules to it, to be honest. Um, okay. It was, we wanted to, I don't know how to say this. Uh, we wanted to add different kinds of experiences, but without having complete control over them, because we still wanted to keep it procedural. So we definitely did add more rules to what was going on. Um, we have continued to refine it. Uh, we will continue to refine it. Um, it's... A complicated process, and so we we definitely added more rules. But as we added more things to the procedural generation, actually, it started to limit what other things were happening, right? Because only one thing's going to happen in a room. That's kind of part of our design. And so by adding something to a room, a new feature, that's going to lessen all the rest of features appearing. Even if it's like 2 or 3% that, that this thing shows up, that's going to reduce the likelihood of other things happening. And so just kind of that balance almost seems to form a lot on its own uh, once you start to get it refined enough to do so. Okay. And and the description in on the Steam page mentions uh, roguelike mechanics. And is that is that mainly the procedurally generated content or were there other things? So yeah. it's roguelike or roguelite, whichever one. Most people don't know the roguelite roguelite term. That one's probably a little bit more accurate, to be honest. Um, But yes, you have... It is grid-based, which Rogue is Um, grid-based. It is tile-based, which Rogue is tile-based. It is um, procedurally generated, which Rogue is. Um, And um, there is... Whereas it's not permadeath, you are punished pretty heavily for dying. One of your characters dies. You have to resurrect him from the church. You have up to six in your party. So one of them will die. Drop all of his gear, um, and you drop all of your loot out of your party's kind of shared bag. So, whereas it's not like permadeath, like Rogue, um, yeah. it is heavy punishment for death. And originally, we were actually were going to have a set number of deaths allowed per character, but we got some pretty bad pushback on that, so we dropped that. Um, the, the community did not like that idea. And again, so in listening to your community, um, that was one that they just felt was not something they wanted to play. Um, And whereas that was something we really wanted to add, we ended up removing that that feature from our list. Um, But, so those things in in conjunction. Um, Also, uh, randomized loot. So Rogue has randomized loot as well. Um, So really, if, if we had a single character instead of a party... And you had permadeath, you'd almost have rogue. Yeah. Well, how do you? What, what do you think of the party? What what inspired the party mechanic? Um, where you the have old games like okay. wizardry. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah. And and even JRPGs these days. Yeah. Uh, and I, I found that there are there's this growing type of game which is almost like an action RPG, but you control more than one character. Um, yeah. And yeah. Like Arca- Arclash Legacy, I think is one. I think that's how you say that. Anyway, 
I really enjoy those. So I kind of enjoy having more than one character a lot of times. Yeah. And so that's kind of something we wanted to incorporate. So moving forward, what's what's the plan for the game and, um, you know, your game studio in general? So for the game, we will continue to update it regardless of what happens. Um, we have things we want to add and whereas how much we get to add will depend on obviously the amount of money that we have to do it with. Um, even if it makes zero dollars, I will continue to work on the game. Um, especially until people are over it, you know, um, the game doesn't have an infinite life cycle, you know, um, people will play it for the amount of time they feel and then they'll probably be done with it. Um, some people are getting 60, 70 hours out of it. Others are getting 10 or 20. Um, and we're happy with both of those numbers. Obviously, I'm even more happy with the 60 or 70 hours. Um, but I'll continue to, to update it until people are through overall, you know, until our numbers drop to where very, very few are playing it or whatnot. Um, we want to add a lot of new features. Um, and if the game does well enough, we'll add an expansion for sure. Um, and then as for the... Uh, the company well, that that is solely dependent on <laughs> how well the game does. Our finances have been pretty stretched, so this well, is well, even kind of appro- a last shot. Okay, well, even approaches and and what I mentioned is, um, you know, you mentioned that how initially your game was free and then you switched it to paid, and mm-hmm. you know the concept of in-app purchases has been something that that has benefited a lot of studios. I don't know now, but I mean definitely in the past. Um, on mobile for sure, where I've seen some indie studios make several million dollars off a game that necessarily would not have made that much because they had any right. purchases. And and so where do you see and, and so it sounds like you tried in app purchases for this game. We did. Um yeah. we originally um were thinking that if we could just get enough people to play it that because remember, I did poorly on marketing. So yeah. it, part of this was was trying to solve the problem of getting eyeballs um, on our game. And what we found was, especially in Steam, which is where we are, which is pretty hostile to free-to-play games overall. <laughs> um, but we knew that going in, so it wasn't that wasn't a, a surprise. Uh, we felt like if we could just get enough eyes and do a good enough job that it was... Uh, acceptable to the Steam community, then we, then we know we've done a really good job. And then we can look elsewhere for other platforms that are maybe a little less uh, hostile to free-to-play games. Um, and we kept the controls uh, at their base level very simple. You can do everything with a left mouse click of the game. So with that mentality, it could go to a console, it could go to a tablet if we wanted it to. It wouldn't go to a phone, it's just the the interface is just too... Too in depth, and I have not been able to come up with a way that would ever work on a phone. So, but we kept it that way with the idea that uh, we could add a lot of other controls if we wanted to. And we have, you know, you have hotkeys and everything with your keyboard. You have all of that. You have keybinds and all that wonderful stuff. But at the base level, you can play the entire game with your left mouse click, so that we could look elsewhere if we needed to. Now, um, what we found, unfortunately, was that. Uh, a lot of eyeballs on a game that they don't like ends up with a lot of negative reviews. Um, and so when we switch it to paid, overall, as soon as you charge for something, people get a lot more stingy with their, their time and their wallet, which can be a very good thing. Um, now when people buy the game, we assume they like this type of game, or at least they, (laughs) Um, think they want to try it as opposed to with free to play people just download it turn it on and if it doesn't meet their needs in the first couple minutes then it's over um, yeah and they, and they leave a bad review they do yeah which yeah. is crazy <laughs> so but I guess um, I guess it's just part of the games industry which brings up another good point which is as you're developing this game, how do you keep up with all the new stuff or the new trends that that could potentially accelerate your own success? And so, for example, you knowing about publishers like Rob, um, 
which you really discovered through going through GDC, but even potentially, you know, not using free-to-play versus using free-to-play or doing whatever is the next thing that will help your marketing or your distribution or your monetization. How do you balance that with actually putting in all the work to, to make sure this game's working? Well, boy, that's the, the million-dollar question, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, yeah. I don't even know that I have a really great answer for you uh, other than just trial and error. And I know that sounds so bad, right? Like you're investing all this money and then there's this trial and error side to it. Yeah, and well, learning is huge. I mean, it's a huge part it, of it. It is. Yeah, so. And somebody can tell you something and if it's not somebody you trust a lot, you don't know whether they're telling you the correct thing or yeah. just something they believe to be true or – if they're just some kind of malicious human, maybe they're really trying to screw with you. Um, yeah, now, or maybe I have what, they, them, what so. they said only worked before and it doesn't work anymore. Sometimes it's just that. Things shift in the market too. Yeah, I mean, there there's a lot to it. Um, I can tell you that at GDC, the developer of Delver, which is another indie game out there, um, which I recommend. It's a good little game. Um came up to us and we'd never met them before and he was he was talking to us and and he just came straight out and said I don't think your business model works. And I kind of looked at him and I was like well who are you? You know like cuz he hadn't told us who he was. Yeah. Uh, and I was like that's you know you get a little defensive. You you get kind of like hey, this is my baby. Leave it alone, yeah. you know. Um but uh you know, he was very straightforward and, and then he kind of broke it down a little bit. And whereas what he said didn't turn out to be a hundred percent true, it was pretty darn accurate. And after he told us that he was a developer at Delver, obviously our ears opened a little bit more. Um, okay. because he's got a successful game out there and, and has tried different things. And, um, and that was a, a, a nice thing. And in the community, there are people out there that actually really do want to help. And I, I really believe that they will, that he was one of them. Um, and, uh, you know, they went a little bit further in my mind towards, hey, maybe we need to switch it to paid. And then when we talked to Rob, Rob was like, yeah, we really, really don't like to work on free to play games. Um, so, you know, between that and a couple other instances, we, we had to, to switch. Now, how do you balance all of the technologies with, with the work? I would say focus on the work as much as you can. Um, know what you'd like to do when you started. Um, obviously have a plan, but realize that just like with your, your, uh, design docs for your game or however you design your game, you need to be open to change. You need to be open to change with, uh, the technologies and also with the monetizations as well. Um, just about any game can be adapted nicely and not just tacked on and crappily for any of the different monetizations. Um, if you put your work in, and, and I would say don't tack anything on, take your time and do it right. Um, but, uh, yeah, just be open to the change. Realize that as you're working, the world doesn't stop rotating, right? Um, yeah. Even though it feels like it does sometimes. And... So as we wrap up the interview, basically, what are your thoughts on where the game industry is going for indies? I mean, do you feel that it's going to grow? It's going to stagnate? There's the indie apocalypse or whatever it is that some people have mentioned a while back. What are your thoughts? Um, I think that indie games will continue to grow personally. Um, and the, the reason I think that is because the indie market is still very new. I think what you're going to actually end up having is you're going to have a, a larger distinction or be broken up into more groups. Kind of like you have the AAA industry and you, some people will designate, oh, this is just a single A title. Um, okay. In which case, basically what they're saying is this is a AAA team with a small budget. Um, at least that's how I comprehend when somebody says single A title. Um, I think in the indie industry... In the indie side of things, you're you're gonna see it broken down into into a little bit smaller groups because right now it is a very large kind of broad term. Um, I think you're gonna see like the designation of indie titles that have big budgets. You're gonna see the designated the well you have, you already have the uh, the dumpsterware uh, designation, 
which there's plenty of that out there, and unfortunately that stuff does tend to hurt the market for yeah. other indies. But um, and then you're going to see kind of distinctions for the really low budget, like first time indie plate people, and kind of the middle budget people. And you can already see if you know who's making the game, the quality differences between those. Okay. Um, but there's not really terms for that yet. And I think you'll, you'll see some of that come about. Um, but I think the industry, the, the indie industry is, is very healthy currently. And I, I think it will continue to be, even if it has to continue to adapt to exist. Okay. And, um, I guess any other last suggestions or, yeah, or comments about, uh, other indie developers looking to get in or get started or, or make their own game and, and succeed on Steam? I would say try it, right? Okay. Put together what you feel is your minimum viable product. Um, if that's fun to you, put it up on Greenlight, right? I mean, the worst that can happen to you is that somebody says, we don't like it. And the community as, as a whole says no. But if you're worried about somebody telling you no, then you're never going to make it anyway. So, I mean, you, you need to be willing to fail and be willing to try. And if you don't try, you'll never get there anyway. So give it a shot. And once again, where can listeners find out more information about your latest game? <laughs> so we will have a website put up within the next month or two, which will be bathlithgames.com. Um, Bathleth is B-A-T-H-I-L-O-T-H. Um, and I will have that put up. It is high on my priority list. I just have not gotten to it. Um, past that, I am on the Steam community pages for Zyvex Tower every day. If you want to get in contact with me, if you make a post there, I guarantee you'll have a response within the next, say, 10 hours or so. Great. Uh, so that's probably the best the best uh, way to contact me. But we will have a website put up. Technically, there is one there, but it's, 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 it's uh, horrible. So we will, we will do some work on that. And, and do you have uh, a timeline on when early access will finish and, and when the, like, you know, the official game will get released and stuff like that? So I have two more things on that second list that we talked about earlier to finish, and they will be done this next week. We are planning to come out of early access on the 21st. Um, again, we have a lot that we're going to still continue to do on the game, but if we don't um, pick a time and come out of early access, then we'll stay in it forever. Um, we said originally we wanted to be in there for three to four months. This is the end of four months, and um, we want to keep our promises. Um, and we also have promised people that we are going to continue developing and we will keep that promise as well. So just because we're coming out of early access does not mean we feel like the game is 100% perfect. It's not, uh, it, it's still a project by a small indie team that will continue to evolve over time. Great. Um, okay. So we're talking with Chris, um, one of the developers of Zavix Tower. Um, thanks again for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yep. Take care. You too.